you're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde and Tane Webster. Here on Rally Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Please send me a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at Radio. And it's Politics Explained with Tane Webster. It's like... um. What was that movie where you start the day all over again? Each week it's um, we've been here before, right? No deal yet. Yeah, yeah. So I think I had a well, bet that there wouldn't be a deal. Yeah, but there has been progress. Oh, there's been pro- – oh, forgive me. I forgot. There had been progress. They had talked about a deal. And, and now they're also talking about they're also talking about who should be the deputy prime minister. So that's what that's what we're going to discuss today. That's what's upset me. I am a little upset with Mr. Seymour. Why? Well, obviously I'm upset with him because he agreed with the lockdowns and shutting businesses through COVID, and then he agreed with the mandates. And then, of course, he refused, along with everyone else, to meet with the protesters. So all of that was a big, thick black mark. But this Deputy Prime Minister thing has upset me also because I can only hope and pray that he's just saying this as sort of part of winning some great policy concession. Because the only thing that would matter, the only being deputy prime minister would only matter to David Seymour and his immediate family. It doesn't absolutely matter to the ACT Party or to its voters and potential voters or to its supporters or to its members. And in fact, it's a huge negative. How's it a negative? Well, think of what, in politics, you never want to be the deputy because it's a useless role. So you never also want to be the deputy prime minister when you're leading another party. So just carefully reflect on what the deputy prime minister's role is. The deputy prime minister's role is simply to stand in for the prime minister when they can't make it. So they mightn't make a cabinet meeting, and so you chair it. They mightn't be able to make a function, so you turn up on their behalf. Or the Prime Minister might be overseas and you're the acting Prime Minister for that time. Now, that sounds very exciting. And I imagine I would love it personally because you're the Deputy Prime Minister. And now, today, for three days, you're the acting Prime Minister. Oh, my goodness, how exciting is that? I'm the acting Prime Minister of New Zealand. But the problem is this. Because you're the Deputy Prime Minister, you can only act as if you were Mr. Luxon. So yeah. you can't act as David Seymour. You actually have to be following a consistent line and you have to be run by Christopher Luxon's office because you can't have the Prime Minister saying one thing one day and something else the next. So the Deputy Prime Minister can only say what the Prime Minister would say, given that precise circumstance. Does that make sense? Mm. And normally, 
you have the prior deputy prime minister as a person of your own party, and they can do that because you're on the same team. Yeah. How on earth you can be deputy prime minister if you're the leader of the ACT Party? Because there are so many, and indeed, this is why this talk has taken so long, these negotiations, supposedly. There are so many differences between ACT and National, between David Seymour and Chris Luxon, between David Seymour, Chris Luxon, and Mr. Winston Peters. So if David Seymour accepts the job of Deputy Prime Minister, he's effectively becomes a member of the National Party. He can't speak out. I mean, he can because he's the leader of the ACT Party, but he's got to be explaining all the time, oh, here I have the hat on as acting prime minister, leader of the country on behalf of a national prime minister. Now, hang on, Mr. Luxenspex, so I'll just take that hat off and let me put on my act hat doesn't really work so it doesn't give act any power any extra prestige any position of influence you're just the man i mean maybe maybe in some people's eyes it's i'm not saying this is what they were thinking but maybe maybe they think that it it adds some clout to have that title and then therefore what he says may have more weight in some circles possibly, you know, internationally where people are not quite aware of the differences in or how the roles work in New Zealand, you know, maybe there's some element That's of that. absolutely true. That's absolutely true. But he can only say that when he's saying what Mr. Luxon would say. If you see my point, take COVID, for example. Let's imagine that um, Mr. Luxon doesn't want an inquiry. Well, the Deputy Prime Minister has to support that position. And if Mr. Luxon's overseas, the Deputy Prime Minister can't announce an inquiry or go and give a speech about we're doing an inquiry because that's not the role of a deputy. Hmm. Now, let's say he wants a COVID inquiry as the leader of the ACT Party. Well, it becomes fought because it's this two-hat scenario. Mr. Winston Peters has been Deputy Prime Minister as leader of New Zealand First. Now, he it's he can, funnily enough, ride about 23 horses at once. He'd be fantastic in a circus, if you know what I mean. And so he could get away with it. But to me, it's sad because it's such a personal thing rather than a policy thing. I want the ACT Party to be achieving its policies, what its members over the years have campaigned for and worked towards, what they voted for, not for a personal position for a particular MP, particularly the leader. It's not what the ACT Party is about. And being Deputy Prime Minister doesn't advance the ACT cause and actually hinders it and the only thing that could be doing it could be an extremely clever thing 
where you say, oh, <laughs> yeah, we've negotiated to this, and you say to the media, oh, and I'd quite like to be Deputy Prime Minister, and then you go to Mr. Luxon and he says, no, you can't be, and you'll say, well, you're going to have to give me something more. So it right. could be a negotiating ploy. That I would love and accept. But if Mr. Seymour emerges from these coalition talks as a deputy prime minister, I will think, one, he could have achieved a lot more policy wins and not taken that role. And B, over the next three years, he's put his saddle on the National Party horse, not the ACT Party horse. And that's not a position I'd want him to see. Indeed, you'll recall that I started out saying that he shouldn't even take a ministerial post, given that New Zealand First is in there. He should sit on the crossbenches and wield enormous power. To go yeah. to inter-cabinet means that you become as one with government. To be Deputy Prime Minister, you're the understudy doing what Mr Luxon decides. You're the my other question was... If he is the deputy prime minister, does that mean he would have to, even when he's not in the, in the, uh, when he's not acting in that role, even when he's you know got the act hat on, would that mean he has to moderate his any criticism of what National's doing Absolutely. more so than yeah okay I mean if if he criticised what the prime minister is doing, he would be fired. Because you can't be the deputy. You can't yeah. be the deputy, if you know what I mean. I mean, it's absurd to be the deputy and not support the leader. That's the whole point of being the deputy. By the way, can you recall who was deputy prime minister previously? I can't. Yeah, Funny it was enough, some, I'm wondering it was someone in Labour. It was someone in Labour. Oh, was, it was someone it? in Labour. Yeah, they had a hat closed Mazir. They won all the posts. So of course they did. But you can't remember them. I can't remember. Was it Carmel Cipollone? It was someone odd. Yeah. Uh... And everyone thought it was Grant Robertson, and I don't think it was. Um, but doesn't that tell you something? Yeah, that you just people don't care, eh? Well, they haven't, you, you know, who was John Key's deputy? Was it Bill English? No. Yeah. Oh, woo! Who was, <laughs> who was Jacinda's deputy in 2017? Again, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Are you busy Googling it? Yeah. yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> it was Winston, was it? No, no. Uh, yeah, from 2017 to 2020. It was Winston Peters. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's right. Isn't that funny? I did not know that. But the point is that it's something that people don't really take that much notice of. And 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 you've a, taken a, a position that denies you the opportunity to be noticed. Because to the extent that you noticed, you're not doing the job. You know, your job is just to be the fill-in guy. You know, you're the sort of substitute. You're the extra that comes on 
when the main guy is injured or having a spell. Yeah, um, I think the main the main aspect that is concerning, I would guess, among listeners and and the like, is the the fact that it means if it was to be the case, he would be less able to criticise national because part of what they campaign on is to you know help national you know push them to go a bit further mm. right to be a bit more mm. and because mm. national's trying to moderate be more moderate and and act trying to go a bit further so if if it means he he can't uh be as critical then that's unfortunate when i was a minister and leader of the act party i took a position which was called a minister outside cabinet which meant a lot less pay and less perks, I think. I can't recall. But what it meant was I didn't have to go to every cabinet meeting and I didn't attend every cabinet decision. And that was my purpose. I only went along to cabinet for things that affected my portfolio. So there might be several weeks where I didn't attend cabinet. So I was what's called a minister outside cabinet. And that suited me as leader of the ACT Party perfectly. Mm. Because what would happen is, for example, when John Key had Peter Sharples in secret go off and sign up to the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People, I could walk into Parliament and let rip into the Prime Minister because I had no way been part of any Cabinet decision on that. And so I put into our coalition agreement that, that we could agree to disagree. If I'd sat in Cabinet, I couldn't influence because I was just one voice and the Cabinet is like, you know, collective responsibility. It doesn't have a vote. Yeah. But it decides things, and you're just, well, you're just Rodney, right? You, you just go with it. You, have to you go don't with get it. a say with this. But if you've been in the meeting, you can't criticize it. So I made really certain that I didn't get caught overstaying in a cabinet meeting on matters that I would disagree with, that I couldn't influence. Yeah, I'd go running out of the room. Because if I disagreed with them, I would be in breach of the cabinet manual and potentially be fired, be up to the prime minister. But you can understand it also. You can't have someone in the room where the decision gets discussed and decided and then walk out of the room and say that was the wrong decision endlessly. It, it's, yeah. it's not stable. And so I was very careful to keep my distance that, yes, we had a national-led government, yes. Uh, the ACT Party was supporting uh, that government. But no, we didn't agree with all the decisions. And we could agree to disagree. We had that clause in our coalition document. And we often did. And it was important that we did because we were a separate party. We never went along with the treaty settlements. We never went along with making a river. Um, a human being or a Maori spirit and giving it a, its own sort of e legal entity. Um, we never agreed with the UN Declaration of 
individual rights or whatever it was called. We never agreed with the Independent Maori Statutory Board, um, even though that was done in my portfolio. I actually voted against it in Parliament. Um, so we have that distance. But if the ACT Party becomes full cabinet ministers and deputy prime minister, the moment they step outside, the coalition looks shaky because there's a split in the government. Um, it's a very subtle point, but it's a very important one. It's good for the for the voters, you know. I mean, because the voters they don't know all the intricacies of all these rules, and no, so they don't. if they don't, when they see you just going along with stuff, it makes them say, "Oh, why aren't you standing up for me?" Because I I wanted you to do these things, and and like by doing what you did, uh, and what could be done in this situation, but by doing what you did, it meant that you could stay much more true to all your voters vocally, and which would yes. keep them pretty happy. Yes. And also maintain your principles, your political yeah, principles. Yeah, integrity. Because you, if you want to support a national government 100%, then join the party. Yeah. But the people that voted for ACT aren't voting for national, they're voting for ACT. So there needs to be, yes, we can support the national party, but we actually have our differences. This, is, this looks to me now like a very important aspect of what's been agreed because are they just going to be all one and hold hands and sing kumbaya and of course if we think about it we tend to want our politicians not to argue and to disagree we look at them and we say oh why can't they just all get along you know and just do what's in the best interest of the country that's the last thing you want. You actually want your politicians disagreeing and squabbling because when they're disagreeing and squabbling, they're winkling out the flaws and the mistakes in policy and the direction of the country. What was terrible about the COVID deal yeah. wasn't just that it was done, but that the opposition agreed agreed with it they should never have agreed with it why because they're the opposition and they should have said oh look we agree with 99.99 percent of this but i have concerns that's all they needed to do so and easy because i have these concerns i'm not voting for this now if they had said that no one would have held it against them because they could make a minimal concern. Yeah. But then, as the facts became apparent, yeah. say, oh, my concerns were justified. Oh, look at all these protesters. Wow, I'd better go down and talk to them because I too had concerns. Yeah. But when they had agreed with the government, they ended up like the government head in sand like a bunch of ostriches. And now they can't admit that there are excess deaths. Now they can't admit that there are vaccine injuries because they agreed with the government. All they needed to do was to make a bit of space. And the only time that the opposition agrees with the government is when they're voting for their perks 
or they're in a conspiracy, same thing, I guess, against the people of New Zealand. It's very rare that there's a piece of legislation or a policy that's perfect. And you always want the opposition able to pick it to part. But if they support it, it means going back on the original decision. And that's why those national and the ACT parties are so heavily compromised over COVID. And that's why New Zealand First and Winston aren't. Because they never agreed with it. How easy would it have been for National and ACT to say, look, we do need strong, this is a terrible disease, yada, 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 played to the crowd, but we have concerns about this legislation. You could actually say we think it's a bit draconian, or you could even say it doesn't go far enough. But just don't vote for it and leave yourself wiggle room to criticise it when the problems become apparent. Yeah, I think there were individuals that did a little bit of that. Uh, Simon O'Connor, I believe, yes. was one. Yes. But he's gone now. He's gone. That tells you something too, right? Because I think if the National Party had backed him, he'd still be there. Yeah. I love to see. I love politicians squabbling. It's that squabbling. And by the way, it's reassuring if they all agree on something. I think I'm pretty sure there's a quote out here, a quote out there on this. But when all the politicians or most of them agree on something, that's when you need to be really concerned. Absolutely worried. Absolutely beside yourself. And of course, um, I was told when I started out as an MP that our parliament was like a pressure release valve for public discontent. And I came to very much appreciate that, particularly with MMP, because you had a lot of, you know, wild and wonderful MPs, you know, your Sue Bradfords and your Nandor Tanchosses. And Sue Bradford was a very interesting MP because she would be out there with a protest and a placard hitherto before being an MP, waving it around, making sound bites for TV. When she got to Parliament, she actually couldn't sustain an argument. She wasn't very convincing. There's a big difference between a soundbite and waving a placard and making a case. But her supporters could hear her talk. They didn't need to be protesting. She was in Parliament. And while you're talking and debating, it takes the pressure off that bit of society. So I think it's a wonderful release mechanism and if we'd had our opposition party oppose the government over all the COVID rules those of us who were against what happened would have had a release valve it's kind of good that they didn't in that sense well it's good in the sense that we wouldn't have the strong community that we have now yeah we were forced to do what we did yeah so. it was us against everyone including our own government and opposition and parliament and that's how I felt it's the first time in my life that I haven't felt represented. I felt out in the cold, no one to, no one to see, no one, and and like our, you couldn't even write a letter to the paper, you know, because you know it wouldn't be published. Well, there we have it. So today, maybe Tane, they'll announce it. We'll keep our eyes peeled. 
Maybe. I'm not so sure they will. Do you want to make another prediction? Oh, I love going double or nothing. So then it'll keep going for another week is your prediction. Then. My prediction is we'll have an election announced before Christmas. <laughs> I doubt uh, that. But be oh, funny. wow. That would be a good one. I'm serious. Listeners, send in your predictions. You know, we'd love to. We'd love to hear them. Mm, I think there's trouble. I think the fact that it's taken so long suggests trouble to me. And when you're doing a deal, it's not done until it's done. They're not saying, "Oh, we just have to have our boards ratify it." As of now, might have happened while we're talking or earlier this morning. But no, I think there's trouble. But maybe I'm um, I'm always a rogue in politics. I'm always the one that sort of tosses in a hand grenade, see what happens. But that would be my hand grenade. I don't think it's a happy ship. I think they're professional enough to just make it work, and they know they need to ASAP, but we'll see. We'll see. Okay, Tani, that was Politics Explained. Tell us your predictions for this government, this three-way will we have a government while we're on air um send us a text 2057 email us inbox at radleycheck.radio thank you tane thank you for listening everyone it's a fascinating time in politics we're going to have a lot to talk about the next few weeks and uh <laughs> there's one thing that's for certain all our predictions will be wrong talk soon you're listening to politics explained back to basics in the political sandpit with rodney hyde and Tane Webster.